Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. What an exciting day we got here today. Um, this is, this is a dream come true. Childhood hero of mine. <laughs> We're here with, with uh, Gentry Densley from, from Iceburn and Eagle Twin, among many other things. Um, so, yeah, we're, uh, I'm stoked about this. This you is guys, huge. You guys stoked? Yeah. Ah, Exciting. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. ecstatic. I, I only have about 94 questions written down that oh, I plan okay. on asking. So. <laughs> Fair I'll, I hope you blocked out some time, Gentry. We're, we'll be here a while. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, uh, just introduce ourselves, start out, Brandon. Jason Johnson. Gentry Densley. Jordan Harmon. Steve Ricks. All right. Um, yeah, this, uh, this came about uh, thanks to my friend uh, Jesse Riley, oh, yeah. who unfortunately couldn't, couldn't be here today. He, he'd wanted to come, but uh, I think uh, someone at his household is sick. Um, yeah, he was, he was texting me after our Neil Young episode, and he's like, hey, when are you going to get Gentry on? On the podcast, because he uh, he knew we were we were both fans, and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be the dream. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I can talk it to him, ask him. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we got so, deep ties. Yeah. How how do you know Jesse? Um, I think initially like him going to church with my sister or something, like living close by, um, and then kind of always asking her about me and <laughs> but eventually meeting and hooking up you know getting him different records or um and he bought like an amplifier that we i built with my other guys in the hex mm-hmm. um amps so yeah he's always just yeah he's always shooting me something and um i don't know awesome guy so. yeah that's cool well, once you listen to this, Jesse, thanks for thanks for setting this thing up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we, at least the three of us, are all all from Utah, and Steve not so much, but lived here for for a long time. You've been here since what, early nineties? Yeah, late eighties. Late eighties. <laughs> yeah. Came to BYU as an undergrad in eighty seven, and have lived mostly most of my adult life since then in Utah. So a few few little sojourns elsewhere, but yeah. yeah. So we were we were all aware of Iceburn to to some extent or another. I was gonna say not just up. Utah kids, but nineties Utah kids, which has a, an important intersection with with Iceburn with Gentry's work. Yeah. It was actually the very first concert I ever went to, nice. un- unknowingly. It was a, it was like a, a festival kind of thing. Your parents took you to it. Was that it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was the first concert I went to without my parents. All right. We're not, we we're not talking Mannheim Steamroller. Um, no, it was at Seven Peaks Water Park. Oh, uh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. It was some. Uh, you know, it, I know it was spring of my my sophomore year, high school, and so there are all these bands playing, and I hadn't ever heard of anyone, any of them. And one of my friends was was going, was like, "Hey, let's go to this concert." And so we show up, and it was like halfway through the thing, and you guys were the first ones that came on stage after we got there. I think there had been other bands before that, but so you get on stage, and I think at this point that you were a three piece. 
Yeah. I think it was after me. after Hephaestus came out. Yeah, me and Cash and Chubba. Yeah. Joseph Smith. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I hadn't, you know, hadn't heard anything. I didn't, you know, had not done any any research beforehand or anything. Just showing up, showing up for a show. Sure. You guys get up, and almost immediately the the crowd kind of splits in the, in the middle and there's like this circle and there, there's Anson Call in the middle of this circle he rips his shirt off and he's like everyone's like moving around like what is going on this is this is weird and exciting and and uh, yeah you blew, found blew your people mind. you yeah, found I your found people I, I did not venture into the pit that day but the the time soon came yeah. Sure. And uh, yeah, later on, I like here's this iceburn band. And I'd seen kids at Provo High wearing your shirts, and mm. there was always stickers on that, you know, that electrical box next to Hardee's that people oh, yeah. put stickers on. <laughs> the iceburn sticker. Yeah. This the, was yeah. So I'd, iconic. Yeah. I'm like oh, this is this is what uh, <clears throat> Jared Daly and all those guys have been listening <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was it was my my first concert experience, and then. Ended up seeing you tons of times, pretty much any time you came to Provo, and occasionally I'd go up to Salt Lake too. And it was a, it was a blast. It was, I say, a great time to be growing up and in the music scene in Provo. Tons of tons of exciting stuff happening, but particularly with, with Iceburn, it was just so fun going to those shows and like never knowing what's going to happen. You know, it, it was like I don't know if you had. Sure. Set lists. Um, to me, it seemed like you you would play one or two songs, and that would be the concert. And it was mm-hmm. it felt more like going to the symphony, you know, where yeah. this week they're playing Ramonov, this week <laughs> they're doing Stravinsky or whatever. Yeah, we our never, songs were usually these massive things that, um, you know, like if it was a face this era, it's ten twenty minutes. Um, usually some set stuff and then improvisations in the middle with cues to get out of it and and all these different things so you can only play a couple 20 minute songs <laughs> <laughs> they don't want you to play more than 40 45 minutes <laughs> even nowadays the eagle twin we yeah if we play too long people start yelling at us <laughs> it, it was cool though it was such a fun time i know for me i think i got into it. my friend Dwayne that i've mentioned on here i think we've even read a, a couple of emails but uh, Dwayne gave me a copy of uh fire which by the way i just found out like That's a, a year ago that i've been saying wrong for the last i don't know 30 30 plus years however long it's been out but um, i didn't tell anybody we should have <laughs> you should put in a, a pronunciation it, guide, yeah. but uh, and then started going to shows, and it was it was so cool at the time because there was a, there was a lot of energy I think around local music um, in Salt Lake and in Utah County, but the Iceburn stuff was so unique because it felt it felt different. It felt like such a almost like an immersive like it just energy and an art experience and there was a different connection like kind of like you said you didn't just go to hear the songs you went for the whole experience the experience being in the in the audience and it was such a, a cool collective energy that i think has has pretty successfully stayed with you through all your projects it's just it's a it's a Really a cool approach to music, and it was, I mean, for me, and I, I think similar to Brandon, not to fanboy out too much, but it was such, like, an important and a meaningful thing for a, for a teenage me that's 
trying to figure out what I think is cool in music and, and what interacting with that art is. And, and Iceburn was just such a fun part of it that's, that's continued to be a part of it. It's, it was super cool. Super cool time. Yeah. I think we always just wanted to... I mean, we had these goals of just trying to make it blow people's minds. And I, I guess if it blew our minds a bit or if it was so cool, <laughs> then um, it was successful. But um, <clears throat> we always were trying to, you know, push the music beyond ourselves, like writing these parts that I don't even... You know, going back to Hephaestus now, there's some chord voicings and stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know how I was <laughs> pulling that off. Cause, um, yeah, and it's even hard to kind of hear just these dense clusters and stuff. So um, it's fun to reinterpret those things now. Um, but yeah, our goal was to kind of just, I thought, I, I've said this before, but it's like I thought I could just keep learning and learning and learning about music and, and it would be infinite um, well actually I thought I could find everything there is to know and learn everything and then I realized I just it's just going to keep going and being infinite I think I said that backwards mm-hmm. <laughs> but the second thing was the first and <laughs> the ultimate goal is the same yeah. so it turns out after 30 plus years at the at the business there's 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 still more to to learn there is i mean now it's more about kind of a specific language um that i feel like is my own way of doing things and and kind of this riff language that was able to evolve through eagle twin where you know you don't have to play things exactly the same every time since I'm the only harmonic instrument then I can it's like I can add these little flourishes at the end or and as long as it's kind of in the idiom then it it totally works and sometimes it, it keeps you present in the music so you're not you know uh, just doing this chord progression over and over um, so it's kind of an immersive experience that way mm-hmm Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's play something here, just to uh, set the stage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some. Is there a part of one of your recent recordings, either the, the most recent Iceburn or Eagle Twin, that is like a what's what's one of your favorite parts to play? Hmm. There's a cool part in yeah the middle of the Ouroboros one um, where we start to transition the bass and drums um, are start holding down this quarter note and we're doing these um, we shift from kind of eighth notes to the triplets Mm -hmm. Um, so because it was like is it where you start talking about Fly like a snake. No, it's before that. So this is Iceburn's uh, most recent album, Asclepius. Is that how you yeah. say it? Asclepius. Asclepius from 2021. This song is Healing the Ouroboros.
So you get that metric modulation. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, right there. Yeah, that's the fun stuff. Nice. I think okay. that's been some of my favorite stuff in what I've listened to is the Steve and I were talking about the, the meters, like the odd oh, meters, the ooh. seven, four, the five, like counting, like figuring it out, like, you know, and yeah. then the transitions where, yeah. you're, where you're playing with those um, time signatures and doing a transition. Very fun. Yeah, it seems like all your stuff has this this fascinating mixture of, like, there's a lot of math going on in there <laughs> with the... Um, yeah, the, so those intricate riffs that you're doing and the timing of it, but then there's so much emotion and power and improvisation combined with that that you know it's uh, really energetic to me. Yeah, I think like with that one, you just have the um, ba ba ba, but that's that starts way back in the other thing, you know, overlaying those kind of three note groups, and and then we speed it up and we're able to take it um and just do these metric modulations that's always a fun part of it for me i think because it's like a lot of bands you can stop on a dime and then play this different tempo or something or you mm-hmm. know classical music you have your different tempos but um i think for us to keep it cohesive and and the feel we gravitated more to that kind of holistic thing and letting it gradually um, gain the energy or or do that, but yeah, the odd meters are always the that that was like a big building block I think for for Iceburn after Fire and Fire and we were dabbling. <laughs> I was gonna say it goes all the way back. You were experimenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to play play some examples from from Fire and of how how all these things were starting to show up in there mm. but maybe first how how did you get started in all this like when did you start um, playing guitar and get into music oh well, that far back um <laughs> what's your very first know. memory yes <laughs> i mean i was a skater so um i mean i was always into music my parents were huge beatles heads and stuff and, and Carpenter's fans, so <laughs> I grew up with that kind of stuff around the house, ELO, and and uh, when I started getting into stuff, it was more like ZZ Top, and um, I don't know, I think I had every Styx record for, and Devo, you know, growing up, and uh, then I got into... Do you remember what your first album that you bought for yourself was? First album was Styx, Cornerstone, but before that I bought the Whippet, you know, single because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd heard uh, Devo and that blew my mind. So, um, but then I got on one of those record clubs, you know, and you start getting. I got Ta- uh, you taped a penny to a postcard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> um, but those are great. I mean, that's how I got into the Aussie records were just coming out, you know, and, and Led Zeppelin four. I remember that one coming in the mail, like, Whoa, what's this thing? It doesn't even have a, I know it's got a guy carrying sticks on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, and some of those remained, you know, to be my favorite. The first one my grandma bought me was like 
ACDC back in black. Did your grandma bought you that? Oh, yeah. I was like, she was like, what do you want? And I was like, my grandma Ruby. She's like, I'll buy you that, you know. (laughs) I was so stoked. And then later my dad made me throw away one of those ACDC records, the Dirty Deeds. He didn't like (laughs) There were some songs on there. Too salacious. I was like, is it Big Balls? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, he, the problem was with uh, Love at First Feel. Mm. That was. That was the one that got. That was the one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like this. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. um, But then I always wanted to play guitar. I'm trying to think. I hadn't really gone to shows. my first concert with my parents was Jackson Five in Vegas, but then wow. um, ended up, you know, trying to see let's, like Metallica with Ozzy and things like that in in high school, um, and I really wanted a guitar. And my parents weren't having it, so actually at the University Mall in Provo, I guess I'll tell the story. <laughs> I stole a BC Rich. Um, I think it was the Warlock, the Black Warlock. I mean, if you know that guitar, it's like pointy, Motley Crue stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a shredder. It's a and shredder I, machine. I had my buddy Distractor in the back. <laughs> I was like, just go there, and I'm just going to run. I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to run through the mall. And my friend had his car door unlocked, and I'm like, I'm out of here. Just like, just. And he's like, what should I ask her? And I was like, ask her if you can put a whammy bar in a bass. by us at least 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) so apparently they he was about to leave and they didn't um realize and some lady came up i almost ran into this lady on a wheelchair (laughs) so i was running out um and she's like did that boy just buy that guitar because he ran it like a bat out of hell (laughs) um but yeah i ended up hiding that thing forever um and then i got caught and had to do my penance for all of that um i think it was like writing a you know 100 word essay on why stealing's wrong or something you know. that's that's a pretty was, good deal <laughs> i know it was worth but, it but late so shortly after that i earned enough money to buy like a broken bc rich that the headstock had snapped and i used that in my kind of in my first bands i got it from the local dude at the trailer park you know that was the shredder and he he broke the headstock but he glued it and used a zip tie you know and so <laughs> i got that for cheap um so it's kind of got a built-in whammy bar yeah i just <laughs> um but yeah so i think fast forward i was a skater we lived down here pretty close to sandy we're at the sandy library right now so um I lived just over the the hill there and met like a old buddy Paul Iba, and we were in school together. Um, skated all the time. Wait, so did you go to Eastmont? I went to Albion for a little bit, and I would have gone to high school here, but we moved back up to Midway, mm-hmm. um, to Heber and Midway. Mm-hmm. So we lived in both Heber and Midway. Um, but I would, I was like the only skater kid up there, and the Cowboys loved me. Um, <laughs> But I would come down here and skate with all all my buddies and started making friends with all these people. Like 
Um, you know, Andy Savar was an old buddy, Jeremy Chatelaine, who's in Insight. Um, and so they were starting bands. Me and Chubbo were playing um, up in Heber um, in his barn. So uh, we had a thing called Forward, I think. I think it was initially called Foreshadow. And we had some creepy shadow guy who was our mascot. And, uh, <laughs> and then it became Forward. We were starting to get in that straight edge kind of mind space. And. Um, but before that, skating, ended up um, downtown and saw the stench playing with Victims Willing, like uh, Alice's. And so seeing that and seeing the energy there and all the kids and all my skate buddies and stuff, it was like, man, this is cool. This is a nice, <laughs> you know, this is awesome. Um, and actually kind of got inspired you know i can just watch terrence playing the guitar and learning all this stuff Mm -hmm. um and and kind of applying that so i used to play my guitar through a i had a tape like a stereo um with a tape player and an input and so you'd have to push record on a tape but you could pause it and then you could play your guitar through and then you get the output oh yeah i would i I bought a distortion penalty nice This one, the other dude that was into guitar at my at my high school, super tall, awesome dude with long hair, um, Shane, and he was like a diehard um, Deep Purple, and why am I Richie Blackmore? You know, and that I think that stuff remains like a inspiration to this day. Richie Blackmore was kind of I started learning some of his stuff, so. Because that's kind of that early sludge and doom stuff. Sure, yeah. And I heard those scales in that that, like, I didn't hear kind of elsewhere. Um, Yeah, Blackmore and and Rainbow, he had a lot of those, especially Rainbow. So I think I came to Rainbow later, but um, that's a big love and inspiration of mine. So... But yeah, I mean, it just goes on from there. Started, um, I went to college, you know, I was studying electrical engineering, and that was kind of kicking my ass. And I took a couple music classes, and I was, I just got A's, and I was like, man, this is, (laughs) this is a lot more fun, and I could just learn stuff about music, and um, was kind of encouraged by the guitar teacher there. Tully Cathy. Um, so we that was so this at the the U at the U, and then I end up in University of Utah. U, yes. the, t- <laughs> <laughs> the big U. Um, ended up with in these jazz classes, history of jazz with Alan Waite, um, and he had some studios downtown. But he was an awesome trumpet player, and he'd played with this guy Don Ellis, who. That was kind of a gateway into the odd meter stuff. Have you ever heard of Don Ellis? He has nuts stuff. Um, <clears throat> like if you looked up Turkish Bath, that was a fun one. And Iceburn used to try her hand at that. It's this jam in seven with like electric sitars and. Um, <laughs> Should I see what we can find here? Sure. Turkish Bath, yeah. Don Ellis. Yep. Thank you. 
purposefully detuned. This reminds me of Youssef Latif. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are trumpets? Yeah. Those don't sound like Clarinet. recorders and woodwinds. Yeah. Huh. It's like a blues, but yeah. funky yeah. head, yeah. Bang. Um, but those kind of scales and stuff, and then mixing it with the blues. Yeah, it's a blues form, but with that kind of half step, you know, frigid and kind of yeah, yeah, bass thing. I mean, so I mean, when I hear that, and then I hear what how I would play it, and mm-hmm. we we just love to take stuff like that and make it heavy. Um, <laughs> so, because that's how we roll. <laughs> well, I, I have to like. There had to have been Mahavishnu Orchestra yeah. influence as well, and like the Johnny McLaughlin oh, yeah. stuff, who was taking similar jazz stuff, but at putting that like some distortion yeah. on top of so, it. So yeah, shortly after that, I think it was um, I was at Ranch and looking around, and Brad Collins actually came up with a um, Mahavishnu record, oh, okay. and he's like, "You need to buy this." That's not a great Brad Collins impersonation. <laughs> um, so He's not he here to defend himself. Yeah, because I was uh, I was looking for Miles stuff a lot before then too. I think big into so Alan Wade also hipped us onto Bitches Brew, and then that was just like holy. Because kind of blue was, yeah. But then to see where he took it with Bitches Brew, that was like, okay, so you just... Miles was kind of like, we see what he's doing. He's progressing each album, doing these different things. It's like, that's that's how we need to do, you know? Don't, mm-hmm. don't stand still. And um, we were always playing stuff that we were just writing and never a lot of the old stuff. <laughs> Uh, that's what I remember from the shows that part part of why it was so unexpected if you'd go you'd show up and we wouldn't know what you'd play because yeah. once the album was released we wouldn't hear it anymore. <laughs> We're like, oh, what's their next album going to be? Let's go to the show and find out. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a dick move in retrospect. <laughs> we were very selfish. It's like the ultimate art- artistic yeah. statement, yeah. though. <laughs> Yeah, so, we already did that. We already were done with that. <laughs> but I think it does. It may. It does. I think lend to that, that constant change. It, like there's the consistency of the energy, but there's a there was always a freshness too. I don't know. I thought it made it super cool. I never was yeah. like upset about it as a fan. Uh, so by the time you record Fire, mm-hmm. were you in college by this point? Yeah, and so I was picking up things like that. There's a little piece of Vivaldi in winter, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so we we took actually lots of pieces from from whatever I could kind of make work on the guitar, and 
I remember we were here. We recorded it down at, is it Ken Fo- Sam Foster's um, in Linden? It was, mm-hmm. he was the drummer for the Osmonds. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> he was kind of out of his mind. He had like a sensory deprivation tank in his house and this crazy big studio. Um, and um, so we had help with the Bad Yodelers drummer um, was our engineer and he was just going to take care of everything and we recorded it there on these big tapes. Um, but I remember we were playing that Vivaldi piece in the middle and he's like man that progression was like and and he'd studied classical music um mm-hmm. and and so he he's like oh okay he stole it from vivaldi but <laughs> still <laughs> Let, let's let's pull this up um it's still it was homage <laughs> so most of the song is original right yeah and then you've got this little vivaldi section in the middle so I'll just start like a little before the, the Vivaldi part. Some early improvisations. <laughs> Three, four metal. <laughs> Very waltzy. There we go. Selfishly, I have my own fire and request. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? It's the it's the last I, Irish jig is short, but it's the last half of I, Irish jig. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the transition into fall is so it's so brief, but it's so perfect. And the it's I think it's like the, the distortion tone and everything just sounds so good, so tasty. <laughs> it was uh let's see this weird rack DSP eighty one or twenty one I think, um Digitech. And it had all these sounds on it, and and it was running into my um, PV Butcher half stack. <laughs> and those things became pretty sought after, the Butcher. It was, yeah. It was a good amp. But, um, yeah, we bought those at Wagstaff's Music, you know. You did buy them? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> that 100-word essay really the, <laughs> changed everything. The the tone, though, like I, 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 I'm super jealous of your tone, and it feels like it's been a somewhat evolving thing, but it, there's been some consistency to it. But even from the very beginning, the, like, like I said, it's listen to the last half of Irish Jig and then that transition to the first okay. part of False just sounds so damn good, the, the tone on it. Well, and here again, we're seeing a lot of that classical influence yeah. with building on a and fugue I don't think structure. This is not very Irish, but yeah. <laughs> it isn't six. Doesn't even guess, matter. Lots of scoop mids. That's some Robert Frost ripoff lyrics right there, I think. Oh my goodness, it oh. is. <laughs> we, I was ripping off, yeah, poets from the beginning. So. Did you say a Robert Frost ripoff? Yeah, in the oh, lyrics? What yeah. did you say? I didn't, I didn't uh, catch it. Um, where have I heard this wind before? Uh, change like this to a deeper roar. So that, we kind of cited that poem later, but yeah, we were just ripping off stuff left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing them in there. But the, that what the art thing is, is you were you yes. were ripping off the like the coolest, the highest quality stuff. Yeah, I mean it's like <laughs> we're filtering that down, and uh, yeah, not ever saying I wrote those. Uh, I've been very careful in English when to just be like to give credit where credits due when when we kind of borrow from stuff. Like there's even a weird part where we take from. Um, the Mormon hymn "Carry On," um, and well, you have a—is it "Ascend" that you have a, yeah. a collab reference, and then you have that oh, whole yeah. album of that uh, is the the crow stuff from uh, uh, Hughes, right? Yeah, the eagle—it's an eagle twin. E- eagle twin. I mean, Hughes has been a huge influence on all the eagle twin stuff, and some taken directly, some just kind of similar but when you start thinking like he was like i just became obsessed with him and his way of um i don't know his kind of i guess theology in a way but not really <laughs> you say hugh are you talking about hugh, hugh. nibley no ted hughes like hughes, ted hughes. hughes. he uh, he he had the book Bro. of poetry uh, yeah the crow yeah. he was Crow-y. yeah he write the poet laureate iron giant too yeah he was later poet laureate of England. Um, his wife was Sylvia Plath, and there's some crazy controversies around. Seems like he wasn't maybe died. the best husband. I mean, yeah. There's, <laughs> That's there's one a, side of the story? Yeah, there's a cool documentary, uh, what is it? Um, 
something about death. Oh, Stronger Than Death, maybe? What was her book? Was it The yeah, Bell Curve? Yeah, it's Stronger Than Death. Um, Bell oh, Bell Jar, but Bell tons jar. of poetry. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and her poetry is pretty awesome, yeah. too. Yeah. And they kind of influenced each other. Um, he never really tried to be, I don't, I don't think, early on um, a poet. He's more of an anthropologist. and But yeah, it's all you know, fishing and hunting and God versus crow kind of <laughs> crow kind of embodying all the various um you know theologies and mythologies. So I really Yeah, I, I love that book Crow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really powerful and dark and just the way he mixes all these metaphors and images of the crow. I just remember that like one where he, like the crow bites a worm in half and crams one <laughs> to the to the woman puts one on the outside of the other. It's kind of like, yeah, crow becoming God, creating man and woman, but in this very strange way. You're like, whoa, whoa, how do we get there? Anyway, sorry, sorry, listeners. Um, this is a more of a PG-13 episode. Up, this is what the people. This is what the people want. <laughs> no, but uh, Gentry, I just have to say, I was so I was a grad student in music at the U of U starting in 95. Okay. And so I have one memory of like seeing this guy and I think the music then music library computer station yeah. working on music and somebody saying, oh, that's Gentry. He's the, you know, he's the lead singer or the main guy in Iceburn. It might have been Tully Cathy because I knew oh, yeah. him. I don't know if you would have known, like, another grad student friend of mine was this guy, Bruce Qualia. I don't know if oh, you would yeah, have I ever had a that. class from Bruce or whatever. Yep. It might have been Bruce because oh, we, okay. were, we were friends and kind of contemporaries. <laughs> but I, I still, at that point, like, hadn't, you know, ever seen your band or heard a note sure. of your music. But um, I maybe leading up to questions this isn't all just about uh, whatever, me talking about <laughs> myself. I mean... That's where I started in libraries, pretty much. Was oh, okay, you know, music library. Yeah, was there, did you work there? Yeah, was, okay. It was like work study. You know, you get paid a bit, and right, the know. wages weren't great. I'm sure. <laughs> Hope you pay off those <laughs> those student loans. Right, right. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, maybe the, Brandon and I were talking a little bit about this on our drive up as we were sort of speculating. You know, noticing what I think has already been mentioned. This kind of ebb and flow of clearly you know composed out material where everybody's playing together it's tight rhythmically or whatever but then these free moments where it's either improvisation or even like sometimes it seems like free improv or or and the timing kind of gets lost and 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 you mentioned like there there are these free sections where there are these cues to get back into it or something but what i'm wondering is like you know imagine you back at that computer which it seemed like you were like composing music and printing it out. Probably. So like like what's the process of creating these these you know twenty minute you know tracks? Uh, do you show up to rehearsal with the score intact and just hand the parts? You know, here drummer, here's your part. Here's your part, um, guitarist, bass player. Um, or is it a kind of a combination of notated stuff and verbal communication? And how does like just jamming and trying things out play into it, et cetera? Yeah. That's, that's, there's about 20 questions in that one no. question. So. Well, I think as we progressed and did different things, the, the methodologies changed as well. So um, initially it was all just wrote 
memory and um i remember i had a a job cutting golf course lawns um up in up at wasatch mountain golf course um in the summers and so i would just be driving and i would kind of just play through things in my head in time and every part and make sure and and i got to where you know i can stop and kind of go back and re-examine that and then go ahead you know so i started to be able to see music um like i've i've known people who can only kind of experience it linear linearly you know like if we i've played with musicians who's like if we don't start at the beginning they're like oh my god where are we like you know it has to evolve in time for them but i was able to kind of see it more 3d just early on and then learning to notate it and learning i was i did a jazz emphasis so i was doing a lot of things where um you're just notating the heads or noting the parts um we had a horn player um greg nielsen on sax and so um i would notate the parts for him and the cool thing about that we detuned a whole step so we were already in b flat and and he could just (laughs) play with us um and that's why like on poem of fire all the songs are down a whole step from what maybe miles would have played or something like that um but yeah as we we got more into um these different ways to write things um Sometimes, like in later Iceburn, I was just doing graphic scores. I'm like making the shape, like play what you think that does, you know, that kind of fun stuff. And getting into Stockhausen and some of his, I don't know if you know about his pieces where he just writes some instructions, like play a note and hold it till he can't. And then it's just like this, a high. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like text pieces or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And there mm. are some teachers up at the U. There's this guy, Paul Bannum, and he passed away while me and Chubba were in, um, taking one of his classes. And we went to the class one day and there was just like a, a funeral announcement. We we're like, Holy, Oh my God. He was like the hugest influence. Um, and he was always bringing these things to us. Um, he was kind of like this algorith- algorithm of a human. That <laughs> he's like, his classes would be um, okay. Something about I'm thinking about the moon. So, and and then you go to the class, and it's like everything from Pink Floyd to like Schoenberg, um, anything to do with phases of the moon you know well bark at the moon (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if he got into that um but yeah he was such a huge influence um so but i think now we've kind of evolved back to that memory thing and um i make notes for myself and and but everybody else is kind of more um coming at it from an old school point of view point of view where you just got to remember the song <laughs> so so you're coming into this kind of through the uh, like uh post hardcore slash metal tradition mm-hmm. with the with the local scene and i'm going to go out on a limb and say that traditionally most musicians in those kind type of bands don't read notation yeah 
it's like chord, chords and then memorize the, the song structure and sure. that kind of thing. Yeah, our crew is kind of special in that way. Were, were you guys all like in jazz band in, in high school or, <laughs> or did you learn, learn how to read music after that? I don't know. Some of them maybe were um, like, you know, I think Cash and Doug were our two main bass players in those groups and those guys both um, studied quite a bit and I think Doug went on even a little more you know just definitely becoming a master on the upright and and um, playing with you know he's like I want to make a living doing music so um, playing jazz with a lot of people and or rockabilly country all these different things mm-hmm. um but for me, I was always trying to fit in the weird stuff. And even in my jazz classes, it's like, I remember some other guy, like the teacher's like, why'd you play that? Like, he's like, I was trying to do something like Gentry. And <laughs> so he did some weird tritones. And, um, but I was always trying to figure out ways to make that stuff fit. But... <laughs> um, because I kind of hated the major scale, I think, for many years. <laughs> and just, <laughs> it was like, I, everything I played in this is, sounds lame and doesn't speak to me or, you know. So, um, I don't know. I think you always evolve past those things, but. It seems like, Brandon, you were showing me some lick from, I don't know if it was Asclepius or earlier stuff but you were kind of trying to figure out an ice burn lick and it seemed like it was octatonic scale or and it seems like as i'm listening i'm not i mean i don't have perfect pitch or anything and i haven't done transcriptions but i was trying to kind of pick out the intervals you do hear a lot of those tritones Mm -hmm. minor thirds but do have you deliberately used the octatonic scale in some of your stuff yeah um, and I think some of us don't know what that means, Steve. <laughs> you got a whole step and a half step, whole, or a half step and a whole step. It depends. There's two different ones. Only. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> if you take those two intervals and you just alternate whole step, half step, whole step, half step, or if you start with a half step and you yeah. go half step, whole step, half step, whole step, as long as you keep that pattern, you'll get eight notes before you get to the octave. And it's just kind of a quirky scale that kind of sounds in between being like a normal modal or tonal scale and something a little more dissonant or atonal. Yeah. Minor, minor. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely, like, I thought I discovered it when I first played it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, that, that makes an octave. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and so, like, Poem of Fire, that song, we use that. And I think it's... Start- Better listen to some of that at some point. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. But we... So there's this mystic chord from Scriabin, who Mm. um, the first chord of that song is that it lays out very nice on the guitar. It's almost like one of those Hendrix blues chords, you know, um, with the flat nine or a sharp nine, flat 13 kind of dominant chord (laughs) with the tritone in the bass instead.
Um, so you get this big weird chord on, and um, picking that apart, we made the melody for that, um, which which has you know the flat thirteen, which wouldn't be in the arctonic thing, but kind of making a riff out of the some of those notes um, led to that. And then I started seeing it, you know, in Debussy or, or um, different composers using it. Bartok was a huge influence as well. Um, so you'll you'll hear that. I mean, I could tell you each like brick on Hephaestus has, is all whole, whole tone stuff, which is I was going to ask really about that one. I know that one had a. I remember hearing something on that the the scale on that was yeah. a oh uh fly swatter that's all architectonic stuff on Hephaestus too <laughs> yeah i want i want to play some of these Let, let's start with with poem of fire here should i just play it from the beginning is it the yeah it's those big open? chords okay. that's and then later with some weird effect on it So is this the mystical chord you're scribbing that yep. I was talking about? Yeah, there's like two alternating ones. These are all the kind of chords that, like, if I'm just trying to figure out how to play it, it's not going to happen. Right? <laughs> if I, yeah, if someone hasn't sense. hasn't written it out on the uh, ultimate guitar tab, I, I have no idea how to play this chord. Dude. <laughs> and that's baseline is fairly octatonic, but. You got the major minor third kind of thing. <laughs> and the sax, yeah. <laughs> Distorted sax. There he's kind of going up and down the that scale. You can kind of hear. So, I mean, some people might say it kind of sounds exotic a little bit because it's got that, if you start with the half step, it kind of has that pattern that makes it sound like maybe some Middle Eastern yeah. scales and stuff like that, but... Yeah. And that's what we were attracted to. We called him Sax Jock. Sax Jock? Yeah. He, it, it was coined... Um, wait, here's this part. And that's when the pit just erupts every time. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but the drummer from the Cro-Mags, actually, um, Petey Hines, he, he would always make up nicknames for guys, and he, he coined Sax Jock because he would wear these polo shirt, or polo shirt, you know, and shorts, and, you know, just... He looked totally different than the rest of the band. You know? Yeah, he looked like your, your typical BYU student. Yeah. <laughs> so him and I met at the U, and, and we bonded over, like, John Zorn and crazy music like that. So he started playing with us. 
people. That was that was important to me because I was uh, a saxophone player at the time. You guys were talking about mm-hmm. your entrance into Iceberg, and I saw I saw. I think it was at Mama's Cafe mm. with the saxophone player, and at the time, you know, in the early oh, yeah, what what was your your jazz combo? The Dirge Trio, is yes. that what you guys trio. Yes, that's Which it. then, all those guys ended up in Iceberg. So. Mm-hmm. Right, that became Iceberg Collective. Well, at the time, saxophone was not very cool. Like, we had just come out of the 80s, and the oh, 80s yeah. saxophone and the... The backlash. TV, all that <laughs> So I was on a quest to find anything that had saxophone in it that was cool. And so, you know, I listened to John Coltrane and stuff, and then I remember people talking about Iceburn and the Dirge Trio, and the, you know, and, and seeing that, that was very exciting to see like okay this is this is cool and there was this i wasn't at this show but there's this kind of tall tale that i don't know who can we can confirm or deny if it's true but <laughs> i remember someone telling me i don't know who if it's adam walters or someone about a show where the saxophone player like blew a blood vessel in his head or something like that like he was playing so vigorously or something like that so i don't know if that's something that you want to i can confirm that he said that happened <laughs> Okay. But and may have not been super true. <laughs> <laughs> but you do remember that there was an origin yes, of the story. Yes, there was a story. Yes, because that story reached me. It's just like whoa! Like this instrument can be badass. Okay. <laughs> he blew up. I mean, a he, lot he really. I think he struggled a lot just to get over the because we all had half stacks, you know, and yeah. big amps. Yeah. Big uh, refrigerator on base, so um, yeah, he had his rig and it had some distortion and stuff. He has a cool setup now that I've helped him curate with like these two 15 inch speakers and and this Mesa boogie, like two, it's got two 90 watt amps in it, nice. all tube. And so, um, he he played with this at that one show you guys, I think some of you guys went to, right? Um, I heard you recently? were talking talking about it on one of these podcasts, maybe, maybe not. I, the Christmas pos- podcast. Yeah, we. <laughs> you had just. I, we, we had just well, gone to this. We show. went to the Urban Lounge oh, okay. show, but I don't think there was sax yeah, at that, that one, right? Okay. okay, I haven't I thought seen it. Like for See, I got to go to the next one. He's there for sure. Yeah. If you're gonna, and, what's the name of the yeah. sax player again? Uh, Greg Nielsen. Greg Nielsen. Sax rock. I mean. Okay. Sex oh yeah. Job. Sorry. Sex job. He's an athlete. He blew blood vessel. Yeah. Sports yeah. injury. <laughs> um, it's hard to compete with those speakers, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I know. <laughs> That's awesome. So you started playing with him as part of the the Dirge Trio. Or yeah. We, we. Yeah. And we would like I would have to do up at the U. You have to do like a I think it's called was it convocation or something where you play. Um, I don't know if it was every Friday or something. You have to do a piece, maybe. Um, so, or maybe it was monthly. But it, he and I were in a lot of the same classes, so like, let's do this together. Um, and we had Dan Day on drums, who was um, in the dirge, and and then some later Iceburn stuff. Um, he was a Provo dude, um, and yeah has some connection to the calls it's all if you're uh. you know <laughs> deep provo stuff um <laughs> <laughs> deep lore is that like deep deep state or whatever deep provo <laughs> um, 
Is this the Dwayne Call family too? Same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is pretty deep. Yeah. All right. Provo insiders. Yes. Yeah. It's so. Well, what I what I love is that I I'll, I'll try to be concise, but um, what I think is kind of interesting and fresh, but and enduring about what I'm hearing in Iceburn is like, yeah, the combination of the intuitive and the gut level, but with some. Uh, I don't know, a cerebral approach that goes into it. So like, and, and I know, you know, for me creatively, when I'm doing music, you know, I try to find that balance and like, you look for things like the Scriabin chord or the octatonic scale to kind of get you outside of yourself. You know, like if you're just sitting there in your room jamming on the guitar, it, you know, you might fall into just these same licks or what you've heard, only heard before. And so the idea of kind of like searching outside of yourself, searching outside of the typical, you know, metal music or whatever to find new sources of inspiration, I think is is interesting and I think it gives your music a certain unique flavor but then you're kind of like taking those materials and say okay we built a lick out of the notes from the scrabbing chord so you find a way to kind of internalize it so it's not completely artificial like okay I'm you know creating this this thing that's very you know artificial or cold or whatever you're starting with this kind of weird starting point but then you're saying okay what how can i make this mine how can i make this ice burns and turn it into our own make it part of our own language you know i don't know yeah and almost uh here like taking those materials and like playing them on the instrument and then seeing Oh, that feels nice. And what can I do with that, too? You know, to a degree. Um, so, I wanted to play a bit from from Brick okay. that, that you mentioned. The whole tone. Um, um, yeah, I would say the not the whirlpool. I mean, there is some stuff in the whirlpool part. I thought I'd start with with building and then go do a few of the tracks after that. Let's see. What's this little? Is that where you're? That's like the string scraping the bridge behind the nut uh-huh. and, and the tuning pegs, and you hit that. Yeah. And this was weird because I was playing straight into the board to overdub this. <laughs> it has a weird distorted tone. Because most of these recorded in huge chunks, like we played the whole twenty-minute piece straight through, mm-hmm. just oh, wow. the three of us. tone there you can hear the difference really really 
dense on the drum kit too, like no air around it. But yeah, that gives you an idea. And then we do some, everything here is in our whole tones. So you get those tritones and some more major sounding stuff. And that lick that was before, the fast one, mm -hmm. was definitely Mahavishnu kind of inspired, mm -hmm. but in whole tones, you know. Mm -hmm. That that seven rhythm, so this whole thing's in seven, um, until we hit that birds, birds part you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's, so whenever I listen to basically this whole album, I, I just can't wrap my head around the process of, of how you would have recorded and, and performed this, because it's... It's so complicated, yeah. right? There's so many things going on, either with key changes or tempo changes or uh, these abrupt transitions. And this modulation is hard to get sometimes. Steve and I were listening to this on on the way up here, and we're like, "Yeah, what? so is this an example of something you would have had to write out beforehand? No, first, or at, could at you guys point, just memorize all this? Yeah, we were memorizing it, and and at this point, yeah, me, Chuba, Cash, and we would rehearse in our house. Would you sing them the part like, okay, this this is where I'm hearing next? Um, I was more. Not really, just playing it for him and kind of giving cash pointers, but letting him find his own way through it. I would, if I didn't like what I was hearing, I'd be like, "How about this?" Or, um, but kind of giving him the tools, you know, this is the scale and um, the notes that, that work. So, and then when when you recorded this, you're all in the same room together. Yeah, it was like this weird black. You just play the whole room. thing straight our, through. Our amps were in the other room, but I could control my pedals. And it was, yeah, it was this dude, Tony Corologos, um, up by uh, his parents lived in the cove, like, you know, what is it, Jupiter? What? No, Olympus Cove. Um, up there, I knew it was some kind of Greek god thing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, or Roman. But, um,. Yeah, we were just crammed in this room, and he had an A-track uh, dat, A-dat player at that point. And I remember we did all of this in these four chunks, and then we um, had to mix the drums down stereo. So we would ha so they're kind of bounced down. Oh, okay. And then that gave us room to add a few more tracks over the top of it. So. <laughs> And then what was your rig set up there? Because you still, again, I'm, I'm endlessly jealous of the yeah. tone. It always oh, is always so good. I, I think I still had the butcher and stuff. Okay. Um, and it was set in the other room. Yeah. Um, so I, that rig was the same, the PV butcher with like a, a stack. And then, and I always used a rap pedal later for distortion. Um, when we hit Metatevolutions, I was... Um, I got this Marshall Major, which is like a 200-watt Marshall thing. And so me and Jamie got those. But I would run a 110 acoustic combo that I used for the jazz stuff 
I would use that as a preamp into that. Oh, okay. And those things sound great, the acoustic brand, you know. Um, so that and a rap pedal and yeah, that was. <laughs> and what guitar are you playing at the um, time? That Dan Armstrong, yeah, for for all Is this of that. Is that clear one? That, yeah. that clear epoxy one? Yep. Or whatever it's made out of? Uh, or resin? Lucite. Yeah. Those are cool. I, those I was, are super cool. I was a big Black Flag and Blast. Those bands were largely influential. Um, so that's how I got into it. Um, but yeah, on on Meditative Evolutions, though, I bust out the electric sitar too. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Can we hear just a just a second of brick or uh, birds? I mean, yeah. We've re-record or reamped the bass um, for a remaster of Hephaestus. Oh, when's that so coming out? Um, I'd like to have it out next year, so awesome. to make a thirty-year kind of arc. Uh huh. The, the first hint that we get in your recordings of going in a more jazz direction kind of has I mean maybe it has that kind of just the, the groove and yeah the vibe groove. right right here no it's the next oh the Those almost harmonics Gets to oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's super cool. <laughs> that was kind of a you tap above, just tap kind of the whole chord area. Um, there was a dude uh, in Bohemia, this guy Russ, there was this band Bohemia, a local band, and he would do that stuff. He was really good at it. Um, they were really influential, cool band, too. So, well, This is another part of what was so fun about your live shows, is that it, it wasn't just straight heavy all the time. Yeah. You know, it would, it would calm down, have these calm moments, and... You know, the yeah. pit would kind of slow down. People just kind of shuffle around a little bit, and then it builds. And so much dynamics going on. The extremes, yeah, the ice and the burn is what we would always, you know, it's we wanted to explore, <laughs> and we were always the people need both. They come yeah. for both. Yeah. So we were, <laughs> and we we battled on some of the masters to get it as quiet as we possibly could, and they're like, no, nobody's gonna, you know, and then like, but they'll turn it up, yeah. and then when it hits, it's so <laughs> loud. And, yeah. <laughs> but now everything's so compressed. I don't know. Right, but that is that's interesting because it it feels to me like that is yet another kind of like classical music influence yeah. or whatever, yes. right? Because I mean For that's sure. that's the one thing with classical music. If you try to listen in your car or whatever, that that happens. You know, it's like oh, I can't hear anything. Yeah. Oh, here's a little flute solo, and then suddenly <laughs> boom, the timpani comes in. You're like ah, oh, crap. You know, yeah. so. Similar kind of thing. We are all about dynamics, yeah. Yeah. And our buddies in Engine Kid, that band, total extremes on the uh-huh. on the dynamics they were playing with. That was a legendary show 
Mm. Did you play more than once with them? Did you tour? Oh, with we them? toured with them. Yeah, okay. like we were good buddies with with them. And so now you have that whole split. Yeah, we had the split, um, and even to this day, it's like Greg runs Southern Lord Records, so he's the one putting out our stuff, you know. Okay, so, this is, I don't even know Engine Kid. Kid. So this Engine is a contemporary Kid. band? Yeah. Um, and when we, yeah, I saw you when, when you played together in, in Provo mm. at the, was it The Edge? I think that's what it was called at the time, that, that dance club on Center Street. Yeah, through so many different names, and I hadn't heard Engine Kid before that, so I just saw him live with you guys, and I was like, "Oh, these guys are awesome too." Yeah, I mean, me and Greg—it's like Greg's my age almost. We're we're like a month apart, and both had stupid curly hair that we couldn't do anything with, you know, and and we're into all the same kind of stuff i think so So i didn't realize southern lord was his yeah okay so and you know he went i think he's done a ton of stuff but goat snake was a big thing in the 2000s and then he started doing sun or sun O, as some people call it and is that uh, his band yeah oh him and steve o'malley yeah okay and they were both Seattle guys and then and kind of grew up together as well. So, um, but yeah, big supporter of us and just, you know, I mean, it's a good friend who's like, <laughs> I love your stuff, so let me put it out. It's always been cool. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I am uh, curious how you view your different projects because you've got multiple projects, yeah. Iceburn, Iceburn Collective, Ascend, Eagle Twin. Uh, there's been Smashy Smashy. <laughs> that was brief. <laughs> that was brief. But uh, but do you, do you view them as I was like finding myself <laughs> ways to uh, a, a way just to play with different people, or do you, in your mind is each one like more of a specific, different type of artistic outlet, or are they all just these things that uh, no. different evolutions of you at different times? There's been way weirder stuff. There's kind of an acoustic. Uh, Continuum of, uh, I would say, from Smashy Smashy leading through some other duo projects I was doing. There's this one called Project Ion that was more free jazz. Um, and I started doing some with different drummers, eventually with Tyler Smith, who's in Eagle Twin. Um, and they were all kind of leading to this point, just that duo. Um, experimenting with making the guitar so I can have bass tones and guitar tones at the same time. Um, so I think Smashy was kind of weird <laughs> and not my favorite just because um, later I realized I just, I can't sing that high and why am I even trying, you know? It's like, so Eagle Twin, when I finally just embraced the low register it was like so much more comfortable and uh so i think i really love that about it with with iceburn though the collective had this crazy evolution that you can almost see it like an arc and you um the midpoint is metatavolutions and in the middle of metatavolutions we switched to all instrumental like from that center point it's and the sax is came in earlier but um that whole last half is instrumental and then 
all of Iceberg's output for the decade till like 2000 is instrumental and oh. only until we kind of read so no no lyrics on polar bear or power of the land yeah no and those were more like polar bear how, was, how would you sing to power of the lion anyway uh, so i had a <laughs> surreal experience just this week i kind of lived my life in airports for for work and in doing homework for uh for this just kind of like going back getting back into some of the stuff i hadn't reviewed in a while i got home just last week i was in sacramento and landed i was over in b terminal so it's a really long walk and then i i've I've got a path for parking i don't take the shuttle anymore so it's like 20 minutes of walking I'm walking through the airport and I've got my, my AirPods on transparency so I can hear what's going on around me, but then I'm listening to Power of the Lion. And it was um, it was almost like, we've talked a little bit about like ambient music and Eno's approach to ambient music, but it was almost perfect ambient music for that experience. It blended in so perfectly with everything that was going on externally. It was a, a uniquely, like surprisingly surreal experience how seamlessly it all it all worked it was awesome that's cool. that is cool uh, that album seems very organic to me um and the players like chad popple was the drummer on that and he has the weirdest most organic style ever probably should we cue it up power of the um, lion yeah let's play some of that i would play number seven number seven is okay. my favorite um, Contrabass. Is this Doug on bass? Doug and Cash both on uprights. Oh, both. Yeah. Wow. Love the seven four. It's my favorite time signature. <laughs> and this one was basically two power chords that are tritone apart, the fifth and fourth, you know. And then you only have three spots until you get all twelve notes. So it's kind of a twelve tone thing. But trying to make 12 tone somewhat palatable. getting into some more free craziness here so this is the beginning of the all energy kind of playing stuff too and breaking into different groups so this is just me and Chad duo 
kind of dueling me and the drummer. Trying some weird stuff. So, so what was the process of recording this one like? Uh, we did... So this one... Uh, actually, there's another guitarist on here, Ed Rodriguez, who has now been in Deerhoof for quite a while. An awesome band. Um, but we we were buddies. We would It was kind of like with the Engine Kid and their band, Behemoth. And then Colossomite was another band after that. Um, Chad and Ed were both in that. I had moved to L.A. Doug and Cash followed me out there. And I was writing all this stuff. Because this was all these weird modular kind of comp pieces that you could have a written part and then improvisations. Um, and some of the written parts could be com- combined together. So when we play it live, it was always different. Um, and we're getting more into just um, improvising, different types of improvising. Um, we're into dudes like Milford Graves, where it's just, he was a drummer, just goes nuts. Milford Graves, and there's this one Bobby music, which has a couple sax players just blowing their brains out, you know, the whole time. And and we, we'd always heard about that record and tr- finally found it, you know. And, and so that, that became an influence later on, some of these. Um, we were into that whole free jazz scene. And I saw... Like I was talking about Meditavolutions, as we become more instrumental, then it gets more improvisational as well. Mm-hmm. And so the very last record we did was all improvised and not even talked about. We just and we were <laughs> we were trying. You just showed up and pushed record. Yeah, we did that at Kilby Court actually, right when Kilby was starting. Um, I was buddies with Phil and just would be like, hey, can we record stuff in here all day and see what we get? <laughs> and, um, yeah, so at that final point, we were trying, we were like microvising almost where we were trying to be very minimal and and you have these amps ready to jump at you if you hit it too hard and you're trying to be gentle it was kind of a strange experience. Um, I love that that yeah. word, microvising. That's yeah. like improvising, <laughs> but with the word micro yeah. put on it. Oh, I, I love I, it. <laughs> yeah, try to. Yeah. And, and uh, I think there were some dudes out of Boston that were kind of, that was like a movement for, huh. but we were definitely influenced by all these different things. Yeah. Um, Did you, were you ever into Anthony Braxton? Oh yeah. So, yeah. And looking at his scores, like when you were talking yeah. about like shapes, like he's got these weird scores where it's like five line staff with some licks and then suddenly it goes into the shape and then there's letters yeah. and there's areas and, and the songs are sometimes just diagrams or pictures with letters. And yeah. So, and I have still all of his triaxium writings at my house um, I totally got into him kind of in in the middle or ending of my school and I, I applied to Wesleyan to try to study with him but got shut down so which is sad but I guess my life would have been different if I <laughs> went to Connecticut and studied with him 
Um, my uncle was actually a, a physics professor there at Wesleyan before I thought, oh, maybe I can drop his name and get in there, but <laughs> didn't. He was in. He was doing laser physics stuff. Amazing. Wow, dude. Well, it might have been my colleague at BYU, Christian Asplund. I don't know if you would have ever come across him. He's kind of been, you know. Anyway, he's a pianist, violist, improviser. Does stuff on the local music scene, but he he went to Mills College for his masters with the plan to study with Anthony Braxton, but. When he showed up in the fall, he had taken the job at Wesley, oh, I think. No. So he, he missed his chance to to do it. But anyway. Yeah, there were some cool schools. I remember being on tour and we would go. We we went to a Braxton show. I think he was doing the ghost trance music at that time. What he called ghost trance music. So yeah. Just immersing ourselves in that. Braxton though was a huge influence in many ways and especially power of the lion was a lot of that was um graphic as well as notes and stuff or just things notated differently like you wouldn't really see um yeah the free yeah the freer that was getting towards the end as it was kind of fading down it was reminding me steve of the stuff you and christian do like so steve does his uh loops with his like a uh, machine, and the Christian's got his viola hooked up to stuff. The the Rixbland improv. What do you call it? Comprovisation. That yeah, that's kind of <laughs> Christian's title for it. And he and he kind of has his own label called Compromise Records. But yeah, that's kind of his way of looking at it. And you compromise on? Co- oh, compromise. <laughs> Com- oh, yeah. I know, but you have to compromise when you're improvising. Yeah, to yeah compromise you compromise to compromise. You do okay. have to compromise sometimes. I mean, that's always what it was all about. And yeah. I think I liked in Iceburn having bass players where I don't have to, you know, I, I knew if I play the root or something too low, it's going to mess that all up. Like in jazz, you're kind of taught that. And then, but then, in the Eagle Twin, I get to embrace those lows and and just thicken them up myself. So, have something to anchor you, kind of like you're free, yeah. but then there's something anchoring you. Yeah, and in an Eagle Twin, I often have to reference the one or the the chord, I'm, and then kind of jump up into a little solo over it, but then be able so. To have you modified your so. equipment to be able to accommodate that yeah. better? What have you done? I I did a lot of things over the years, like mini pickups or sideways pickups just on the low strings or taking pole pieces out. And then I just, um, now I use just a, a bass pickup and um, kind of just to cue the highs out of it. Um, like just on the net, just on the bridge or? Uh, it's not the bridge. It, it's... Actually, it's neck because that gives you that more bassy sound, um, and then run it through a big SVT or bass amp, you know, and that. And then you can kind of bounce between. Do you also have uh, a signal splitter? Oh pedal? yeah, a- actually the pickup split right out of the, and then I have a a chain for the guitar pedals, which um, and then the other one goes through some bass pedals, and they both have volume pedals, so you can. I can turn off the guitar and just have bass or 
or do both and then my bass has like a looper so i can set up a bass loop and play mm-hmm. over top of it if needed i wanted to play some of this mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll play this bit from Kwana and rama is that how you say okay it? yeah which uh, which this project is, is this eagle, eagle twin, twin the the thundering herd great album title by the way <laughs> i know people are like did they did you spell it wrong it's like no it's perfect it's so good see these endless growing found the yeah the one overdone on the album there that's it mostly <laughs> i mean yeah that so <laughs> this one's a, a duo you, yeah you on guitar and tyler tyler smith yeah and I, and I do play the those kind of harmonies live but on the recording i played them as individual lines to kind of get the different sound that you get that way but i, I hear three three things yeah. going on there's like the bass and then the two the two guitar harmonies so are you yeah. able to play that live yeah uh, or do i you mean, just do one of the guitar parts for a lot of it i would there's like this quintessence pedal you can just get harmonies so uh, fifths or chords it, it'll actually do diatonic kind of harmonies where you have um, you're staying within the scale it, it doesn't do super i think you can program it to do different ones but um I didn't totally love it, so I just ended up um, playing those harmonies myself. It's just some thirds. I don't get maybe the highest one that you're hearing. But we just, we were having fun in the studio when we did that, so mm-hmm. I was just like, let me layer another one. We go, I'll go up to the fifth now. And, so. Well, yeah, listening to this album, like, I would have assumed that. At least in the studio, a lot of it was overdubbed, but no, that's the especially only part? Um, I think the part kind of brewing underneath us. Because um, I don't know how you would do those two well, different to, things to on this. the same guitar at the same time. But listen to this part is like. Anchor yourself to the one and super fuzz too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's an overdub, that other line. Okay. So this whole part is a uh, kind of a homage, as you say, or just taken from um, Many Mansions by Sunny Shirock. Sonny Sherrock and Pharaoh Sanders, Elvin Jones on drums. It's like 
Uh, the Ask the Ages is the album, and it's like the greatest, one of my favorite things. Many um, Mansions? Many Mansions is the song that this is kind of, is drawing on. Just that pentatonic melody. Um, and Sonny has always been a huge guitar influence. Um, and just, there's not too much of his stuff out there. Some of it's kind of weird, but this album was like perfect. Ask the Ages is has always been a huge influence mm-hmm. what track was that I really like that it's the it's the first track from the thundering heart yeah Her. they're like 10 minute songs that on that I, uh, <laughs> I didn't do my homework on Eagle Twin but I'm excited to I want to skip to about the 7 minute mark when it goes it goes back into the this main riff but it's like the distortion is way <laughs> even way more yeah It's like the, the thickest distortion I've ever heard. It's nice. <laughs> it's like, um, kind of reminds me of uh, um, Neil Young's, like, Hey, Hey, My, My. Yeah, yeah. Like That's that, what I was thinking. That level just... Well, and you have, you, it's, a lot of it's in the way you play it and, and kind of let it get those creepy things coming in after it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the crispiness and... Actually, the bass player from Russian Circles, uh, Brian Cook, he played in These Arms Are Snakes and Botch and stuff. But I remember he asked me about that one time. He was like, dude, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing there? And, <laughs> but let's see. Here again. That one's a little more straight ahead. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's got a lot to do with the pedal setup. There's some compression with a rat is all, but on Model T kind of amps. And you just, you you mute it like, you know, the chunk, chunk, Metallica kind of thing. But you have to kind of let your palm bounce off when you're doing it and get some of that nastiness. It's like... It's all in the fingers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't Slide heard that, of hand. quite that distortion before. It's really <laughs> it's like, so yeah, nice. It's, uh, it's so fun when it's like on a big set of speakers and you just crank that thing. <laughs> I love how Andy mastered it. Andy Patterson recorded it and mastered this uh-huh. local old town buddy. I yeah, mean, he's he goes done such a good job with it. Yeah. Um, so was he in State of the Nation? Yeah. He was in Search before that. That's the show I saw at Meridian. (laughs) Uh State of the Nation, Iceburn, and who else was it? Oh, okay. Do you remember that? I don't remember who else. I remember those too. We weren't hanging out at the time, but that was the first mosh pit. I was on the outside, (laughs) and I was like, I'm not going in there. I'm like like 90 pounds as a 14-year-old. I'm not going to go in there. Yeah, State of the Nation was awesome. Um, And, yeah, I think Andy just did a great job. Like, 
making it visceral but also not it's kind of soft and and big and fluffy in a way was all your eagle twin stuff recorded with him no the the first two were recorded with randall dunn who's amazing like i don't know i think there's that was a great time um working with him and he was working with sun sato as some people say i will say so people know who i'm talking about um and greg and i did ascend um there is an ascend track called desert cry which is like a mccoy tyner thing and i think a lot of the sonics again me and greg engine kid iceburn did this ascend thing and i think learned a lot um there about I don't know. I, I definitely stole some of Greg's tricks on getting that heavy tone. Um, and when we were working with Randall, it was up in Seattle, and we recorded the first two Eagle Twin records were actually in um, same studio, like Alice and Shane, Soundgarden, um, all these bands, like the seminal records were recorded there why am i spacing on the name london bridge yes mm. so that was that's, like, where, that's where they snuffed the rooster huh <laughs> <laughs> there was also some bands i don't really like that had their posters and gold records there but uh something about three days or three doors down (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean like it was it was a crazy studio and they had a huge neve with 24 track you know like Mm -hmm. the most killer setup so we would record the tape there and take it back to his little studio and it it was interesting because randall was into all this stuff that we were in too that i didn't think were kind of part of this doom world um it was you know this more heavy music and then we were talking about people like ivan king and he's like oh i know ivan king and i was like oh, holy crap because i was obsessed with dying ground which was his like crazy noisy trio stuff of course that just that approach um and yeah he just kind of had his pulse on this world and i he was able to bring sun in with some of those players too like julian priester on trombone on and they when they do that piece of alice which is named after alice Coltrane, so just hard like you're into jazz stuff and classical and it's like how do i how do i bring that into my own stuff with out sounding goofy but it's like when i think if you're able to develop your own voice and tone and all that 
then you know it's gonna sound like you but it's gonna nod to all this other cool stuff mm-hmm. that that's been one of my favorite things about it is it always I, I like stuff that pushes me towards other cool stuff mm-hmm. and it, it feels like that's always been there like that um i love that track uh history mm. that one like i want i i, I want to know like oh. what what's influencing that um i like the uh, uh that one it? was i mean Should so that's that. footprints kind of wind shorter that that kind of or um that format the chord progression um footprints and then um branford marsalis did the dark knight okay which is uses a similar chord progression kind of and so I'd met Branford and hung out oh, with him. Okay. Cuz this one just feels so like jazz like yeah. there's not a some of them there's a debate is this is this doom is this jazz this is jazz yeah. in my mind at least. Metatabolutions was about symmetrical motion away from each other kind of. <laughs> So it's essentially a blues with that turnaround, you know, but it's not, it's a weird kind of blues. Yeah. So, and then, you know, breaking apart duos, solos, this is just sax and and drums. But um, yeah, I really, this album deserves a lot of digging into. There's so much fun stuff. Like the part before this, Objects, has a lot of um, maybe classically influenced objects too. It's like uh, the DSE Ray is in there. Um, there's this, these weird chords from Mession um, that I loved. I was like writing those to myself as I was listening back like to this album and I think the previously when I listened to it I just listened to it this time around every song if it felt like I know there's something here that's got to be a a pretty direct (laughs) influence we we need like the full annotated (laughs) I know like the (laughs) annotated companion (laughs) (laughs) I mean there's a stuff from um, the part called Revolution, which made it into the Rite of Spring stuff that we did, because um, that caused a revolution, I guess. Uh, basically, there's this dude, John Carigliano, a classical composer contemporary, who came out and was talking to us about composition techniques, and one of them was taking a word and then corresponding the the letters of the word to the notes, or to the letters of the alphabet so you know you had your a through g is normal 
Um, but then he had a way to do the flats, and then you kind of repeat it. Um, so basically the word revolution is in there, and then it's like revolt, revolt, you know, the, the, <laughs> the melody. Um, I want to play that part. Well, I'll just skip like to the end of history, and then it goes into a new rev- revolution. Maybe a different one. Uh-huh. Each one, yeah, you can do that. It may have more contrary harmonies going on. Do you have yeah. two drummers on this album? Yeah, this and Randy Herbert, he was from Payson. <laughs> he was doing kind of all sorts of weird percussion stuff. And then Dan. And he was kind of, they were kind of good buddies or um, maybe a tumultuous relationship, but they work well together, I thought. This is always fun to play too. So do you have the message of revolt on this one this one as well? Or is that just yeah, in the first see. revolution? Let's see if it comes in. I'm sure it does. Yeah, there we go. So is that the part where you're spelling? Yeah, so that's the word revolution right there. And then we freak out again. Uh But, and it was kind of a, having that free-floating melody, it's not in time, we're just kind of... And I, Ronald Shannon Jackson, awesome drummer, had some weird groups, and uh, I, I definitely used that technique from him. I was like, oh, I love how he would have these weird funk groups, grooves going that were really, and then the melodies just kind of like floating. Kind of float on top of that. The next harmonies are weird because we're using progressively more dissonant intervals. If you listen mm-hmm. to the last version. Ornette dude too. He played with Ornette a bit. That's what what I thought of when Brandon and I were listening. I was thinking of like even just like Lonely Woman, you know, the classic track where it's like the the drums are just kind of cooking, but the the melody kind of floats over it. And with, I mean, sometimes that free jazz it is notated rhythmically, but the whole point it's a little bit loose. You know, they kind of just play it wherever it feels right, and it's a great. It's a great feel. So I've got a question for you. Like as as we're talking and listening to this, I'm I'm amazed how like I didn't know how much of the kind of jazz training and thinking and influence there was. You know, I knew that there was like the Dirge Trio and there was a saxophone here, and I haven't I, I don't think I went as deep as Brandon or Jason, but I'm wondering how much. It seems like was your audience mostly coming from the metal world, or did you have the jazz world and free jazz people? aware of you at some degree and kind of like inviting you to free jazz festivals that <laughs> such if those exist anymore we tried um we were trying to enter that world i think and maybe found it 
unwelcoming at times or just like there's not a huge audience and sometimes we are we are too loud for for what they wanted i remember nels klein um was is an amazing huge influence on all this stuff too um and I would go down to Santa Monica to the Alligator Lounge and watch him. And he had us play there. Um, he had Iceburn play there a couple times. Um, and that was always awesome. I had to bug him to get him to do it. But um, he was, you know, he's 10 years older than me. So he, he was always a favorite, though, and just such an influence. Um, so, and I was introduced to him by this dude, Leon Lee, who would book tours for us um, and became like awesome flute player and moved to China or Beijing. So I need to track that guy down, but he was um, definitely one for making connections to that Santa Monica scene. And then he was up in San Francisco. We would play weird art galleries up there and do this when it was getting more crazy more free some of the tours would be yeah it's not well attended <laughs> so. i remember you doing at least one maybe maybe multiple shows with alex caldero in, oh, yeah. in salt lake yeah and i think that started early on we end up playing like a food not bombs benefit that he was doing some poetry on and then um he saw us and then we like exchanged numbers and um i think that led to us to me being buddies with uh scott carrier who does a lot of he was doing radio stuff um for like npr basically um and he had this weird idea um about chasing down antelope or charming antelope with ritual and music and he brought (laughs) He brought Alex and, and Iceburn dudes out to the West Desert, and we spent a couple days out there playing music the whole time. Oh, you actually <laughs> did it. it. Doing weird, and Alex and me, yeah, I think maybe Dan was there, Jared Russell um, was did there. Did it work? Did it charm the antelope? No. Is there, video, is there, is there a video audio of this? It's like a produced so, audio program on Trent, Trent Harris, who did like Ruben and Ed and everything, was yeah. there filming everything. And I don't know if there was anything worthwhile that ever came from it. <laughs> oh I mean, there's gosh. always cool stuff of Alex being weird and us playing weird stuff. But um, who? What's that name again? Scott Carrier. Scott Carrier. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, talk about basement tapes. We'll look forward for, like, the West <laughs> Desert Charming the Antelope yeah. tapes to come forth. We were in Harrison somewhere. <laughs> I have dat tapes of a lot of that stuff. I have these Maybe he'll boxes. release it as part of the Beaver trilogy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was even further out than that. So. Um, but, yeah, we have, I have dat tapes galore of all that stuff but I, none of my dad players work anymore so I'd have to I don't know how I'd transfer them but there's hours and hours and hours of iceberg stuff out there <laughs> we used to record everything so but later we started touring with this band um, fully celebrated orchestra and uh, they um they were from Boston, and they were more kind of in that ornette type of vein, too, um, in a way. Um, 
just a trio bass drums and sax um but they call themselves fully celebrated orchestra and this guy put us together because he's like he sees these similarities so he booked a little tour for us but that kind of evolved into a thing where i started playing with those guys and i would like fly out and do some some stuff with them i got it contacted you know by like um i think it was boston mass or something to do a a show in Thurston Moore was going to headline and then they wanted me to do so I got those guys to be my band and and then they got to get to get the knitting, knitting factory and they asked me to do that with them and so it was kind of some cool stuff like that um those guys were all masters like I think after that I don't know moving around a lot I started getting more into written music um getting back into riffs mostly kind of thinking about doing vocals and playing riffs and all that once Iceburn had exploded everything and then gone to this complete improvising and then microvising and deconstructed to the smallest parts um, it's like what do you do after after that Go back know. to riffs. Yeah. yeah. Go, go back. <laughs> well, then it's like, yeah. What was? I don't know. When was I most happy? What is the most? What am I most comfortable doing, or what feels the most natural? So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what's uh, what's coming up in the the near future? Any albums that you're in the process oh, of working on right now? Yeah. <laughs> More Eagle Twin. There was some recorded about the same time, but it's sat a while, and I think we want to. We've been working on re-recording that. There's Iceburn stuff that's that was recorded as well. That like right before 2020, and I just haven't. So like new unreleased material. Yeah, there's definitely stuff for all of this, and Iceburn. We still get together every once in a while, and just whenever Chubbuck comes down from Montana. He moved up there. Has an awesome ranch up there. So um, we always try to get together and jam. We've been working on kind of playing the Hephaestus stuff again because we think we're going to do a concert that's all of the whole record. Ooh. That's what Chubba wants to do. Oh, come on. Play the whole record top to bottom. And I was like, we might have to take a few things out. I don't want to play for 80 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah. Had you ever played the, the whole album? Um, the I past? mean, in, in different parts, not all together, no. And we only played Brick a few times, I think, live. We'd play different parts of it. But as one continuous piece, it was always... A little challenging. Flyswatter, we've done that live, and and blacksmith stuff. So, um, yeah, I love each of those. How about Meditative Illusions? You gonna play that live? Maybe when we get to that. I mean, there's so much cool stuff in there. Um, 30th anniversary. The the <laughs> Sphinx in in Meditative Illusions is um, kind of one of my favorite of all time things and that brings like you got like this helmet kind of riff underneath with Mahavishnu influenced uh, melody on top of it um, 
that's using not octatonic, but I guess the would it be the hexatonic one where it's a a half step and a minor third, half step minor third, half step minor third. But can, can we hear Sphinx? Yeah. Sphinx, <laughs> Sphinx is having Gentry intense. set up his own song yeah. is just too good to. <laughs> chasing each other. That was kind of a fun thing to play with each other. He, he was always very responsive, you know. Mm -hmm. and kind of, that was, I love that. Yeah, so, and it's really just a simple little head, piece of a head over it, but then we kind of, you know, I start improvising harmonies, and harmonies over it, and then off after me so but um, yeah this whole piece is a big improvised um, improvised piece there with the, another head kind of at the end mm -hmm. but it's reversed you know the melody comes first and then it's the ensemble then drums and bass and then just drums kind of like it builds so this was all about palindromes too like creating these symmetrical structures so the album itself is a palindrome yeah of, of some sorts yeah and, and it happens to be the, in the middle this song is too yeah, the form of it this piece yeah i mean it's not it's just improvising with <laughs> mm -hmm. you know your your end pieces are kind of your book bookends are are palindromic yeah. same with the, the whole thing um and then I would say the career of the initial 10-year arc of Iceburn is much like that because you, um, on either side, we had these um, kind of, well, I called, so let me go from the beginning. You had Fire. Mm -hmm. You have the last record was Land of Wind and Ghosts. Um, so Fire was kind of this, I don't know, primordial beginning for us. And then Hephaestus was like the creation album. And then at the end of the spectrum, you had 
Land of Winning Ghosts was definitely after life, after death, and and the Black album, the Speed of Light, Voice of Thunder. That that's like the counterpart of Hephaestus on the other side. Are, are then, those ones not released? I've never heard oh, either of those. The so they got equally, I mean, hard to find. <laughs> As it's funny because on the Land of Wind Ghosts, the last one, this guy writes a treatise, kind of about Iceburn, like following our own whatever muse path um, to our own downfall, to our own detriment. So like, what year was this released? Um, two thousand or ninety-nine, probably two thousand. Um, and that—that's like. So we were start putting stuff out ourselves and. CD only maybe <laughs> and so it got really obscure so after that would be after um, Power of the Lions so that is kind of the death you know um, <laughs> what's that album called that black album the black one is Speed of Light Voice of Thunder and that's it's like a double trio two guitars two drummers two sax players and it's like balls to the wall kind of free jazz energy um and one fun thing about that record is now you're gonna have to get it is um all the all the song titles are translated in klingon as well as <laughs> i gotta i gotta track this down now i absolutely have to track yeah. this down i'm surprised brandon you don't know about these albums was it cd only was there a vinyl yeah, release cd only and my buddy worked at kinko's we made these cool covers um with like gold print I don't know it was I, I loved that stuff at the time um, <laughs> I really haven't gone back to listen to it it's pretty intense um, in that world of just freak out screaming sex kind of stuff but we we had some forms in there um, but yeah so then I guess after Metatavolutions, what you have Polar Bear and uh, and Power of the Lion. Those are kind of like the animal pieces. And then on the other side, we had Poem of Fire and um, and the Red Spring, which um, I don't know. They they have some kind of correspondence to each other there. <laughs> um, but it, but if you lay it all out, Metatavolutions is is in the middle of our main output. Um, and so I had a diagram once where I mapped it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Jason likes to do stuff like, like, yeah. like it's one of my very favorite things. <laughs> nice. So and then I was trying to fit the seven inches and the ten inch in there and see how they because we did a. The first seven inch, you know, before everything burn and fall, mm-hmm. which is a totally kind of different band, um, basically. But then um, after we're kind of turning a corner after the last record, microvising and stuff, we put out a ten inch on an Italian label, um, and that has like Ed and, and Chad, oh and so it's. it's just like- just frothing and trying to figure out how I can get this. That is interesting to hear you lay it out because it does, like I was, I, I, they've seen, I, I diagram stuff out. I draw these, I know it's kind of dumb, but it works in my brain. But I was trying to do the same thing with your stuff and it feels like you're 
equally. Jason likes to drag rim things on a basketball court. Sometimes I do that. Too. <laughs> this is their three point shot. I create, <laughs> I create shot charts. Um, Basketball's like music. It does feel like you're equally influenced. This is maybe a discussion for another podcast, but it does feel like you're equally influenced, like by mythology and by poetry and literature, as much as you are by music. Sure. And if, like you can see that you've got influence from from like Roman and Greek mythology and from like some religious language and iconography and then even like some Native American influence it feels like on some of the Eagle Twin stuff so that that was interesting to me to kind of see that through line and that seems to go all the way back and then kind of the poetry and the literature as well yeah. maybe you've never even thought about it but it, it feels like a, a constant yeah definitely and I don't know. That's nice that you see that as well. <laughs> That's nice for you. Yeah. No, no. And I mean, even that Robert Frost thing, that kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, yeah, I totally took that, too. Because, yeah, I mean, you can't, there's only so much great poetry. <laughs> I think that that's one thing that, in my mind, separates you guys from... Um, I guess what you typically think of with with metal or sure. or hard heavy kind of music where you know a lot of it at least lyrically the the goal seems to be to um to shock or yeah or to gross out or you know those those kind of or or maybe like the woe is me the uh, um just being angry about yeah. stuff, or I'm tougher than you. Yeah, the hardcore. So there, there's a lot of that, but it, it seems like I don't know. Did, did some of that? Do you did you take some of that attitude from, um, like the maybe the positivity side of the straight edge? Stuff? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yours is different from that too, but I I get a an overall sense of like in Isaiah terms of like beauty for ashes. Like there, there's a lot of conflict going on, but it, it's not like, uh, like Slayer type. Everything sucks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Meditavolutions, you got the Indian, um, you know, Shiva, the creation and destruction there talking about those things. So each, each one kind of had its, a different thing, the land of wind and ghosts goes goes into Japanese um, ghost stories and stuff almost. Uh Lafcadio Hearn was this dude that was amazing, like became a honorary like basically liter literary figure in Japan. Um even though he wasn't Japanese, but he translated all those gathered all those old stories, translated them. Um so yeah, we've always let that stuff inform us, and still do to this day. That's, I, but go ahead. Yeah, it was just the same kind of question had been in my mind. Basically, like the stuff that like um, inspires you creative creatively. That's not music, and it sounds like it's it's been there throughout. It still is today. And I'm, I'm wondering what it, what is today if you're. If yeah. you're willing to share with us, what are the what's the stuff you're into right now that's like sparking uh, your? Yeah, I mean, I think the crow stuff with with Eagle Twin. So I'd been doing these other duos, um, 
and then I was like, I just want to set some of these crow songs to like they have such riffs that just come to my mind as soon as I read it. So that became a different way to write where um, I see the kind of musicality of the words and want to um, make something to go with those. Uh, and that's how Eagle Twin was, was basically born. And of course, it, sometimes I would go back to just, oh, I just made this crazy riff. I need to find some words that work. Um, but um, I, that was a turning point in a way to have, um, and, and it's cool because Crow is also, he embodies all of the other myths. He's like this catch-all for, you know, um, I don't know, any other religious, religious figure, Jesus, Buddha, you know, everything gets superimposed on him. And so some of the newer stuff with Eagle Twin, um, there's one piece that's kind of drawing on some Buddhist texts that I read that I really liked. Um, the great weapon of the secret teachings it was talking about. Um, but then we also have from, um, there was this Benjamin Britten, uh, songs for tenor. Um, I think he, he has avenging and bright. Um, and so, it was kind of translating some of that. It's about a, it's it's kind of a revenge thing about some dude that killed some dudes, and now the Scottish guys are going down to, I don't know. But um, <laughs> that's a pretty awesome piece. But the way we translate it, just kind of using the same melody, um, it's like avenging and bright, fall this swift sword of Aaron. Um, but. So pairing that with kind of this Buddhist text about what really is a weapon and, and you know, you know, <laughs> maybe the weapon is in your mind and all of this. So um, that's some of the fun stuff we're delving with. Uh, and then there's another song that draws on Hellboy, who's kind of another one of those figures where... A lot. He's in this world of multiple myths, um, battling different mythologies and stuff. I kind of gravitated towards those comics because it's so cool. You have this weird devil creature who doesn't want to be a devil, and then he's dealing with all these other different mythic creatures. So we have one called Horn versus Halo, which is kind of a sexual connotation, I guess, but... It's more about Hellboy, <laughs> but but that within us, you know, we're all battling our own demons, or mm-hmm. you know, the good and the evil. I, I so. This whole, I feel like this whole thing needs to be annotated. You're like a, a, an oracle for for, a, for for cool subtext we need to be looking, <laughs> checking out. This uh, this question can be dismissed immediately if it if it's of no value, but. Uh, before we started taping, you know, you were telling us a little more about how you've worked as a librarian at yeah. the Salt Lake County Jail for years. And has that ever come into your music? And if so, like, how? Yeah, I mean, the that's where I discovered the Crow book actually was on the shelf. I was pulling it for a guy, and I'm like, oh, man. It started, 
you know, well, this person liked this book, and then I open it, and I'm like, oh, I like this book. So, you had to tell him you didn't have it available yeah, because yeah. you immediately <laughs> checked it out, right? <laughs> so I've bought multiple copies of that book ever since, but um, yeah, the the jail kind of at times lets me do that thing I would do on the um, on the lawnmowers at the golf course where I, I can think through music and kind of structure it and have ideas um, kind of long drives do it as well that's a good place to kind of just play through stuff in my mind and if a lot of times you'll have a problem that gets posed in music right and how to get from this to this or how to make this work or how to get your drummer to hit the right symbol on the right spot or you know because sometimes that's important so um yeah having that time to think about it um but i think the jails kind of made me um you see things from all all different sides i mean because you got guards in there you got us liberal library types you got um people struggling so um yeah Talk about different mythologies playing out, oh, right? Yeah. Different perspectives, different... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes I come across something that somebody's asking for that I'm like, oh, yeah, wow, I didn't know that existed. But That's yeah. awesome. And nowadays we're kind of the... I've got these Vandermeer books. Uh, he's written... Let's see, Annihilation got made into a movie, mm-hmm. but he has some more recent ones, this Born series, which is all about the animals and almost biotech gone wrong in the future. And um, I don't know, I find that stuff compelling too, because a lot of the Eagle Twin songs, it's like these singing about maybe these mythic creatures that are bigger than life and bigger than like growing into these unstoppable things um the unstoppable power of nature is a big that's interesting i heard i listened to an interview with the director of annihilation and her i didn't realize it was based on that book but he referenced the same thing now i'm double intrigued (laughs) the books are great yeah and there's this giant bear in one of them that's like i mean yeah that can fly and it's like bigger than buildings and stuff. <laughs> but parts of it fall off and become other creatures and you know it's just like um, some definitely some inspiration in there we have a, a bear song already that so that's another thing hopefully I don't know if it'll be on this record but it, it takes from native myth about um about the bear following this mother and child and and they're like why are you chasing us and he's like i'm just covering your tracks from the crow um trying to keep you safe and kind of has that aspect of the story but then this other side the weird side of the bear when it kind of gets mutated by the human world so Mm. fun stuff (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) Yeah. So what's our what's our time like? Are we? Yeah, I think we we better wrap it up. Do we want to do each one last question, or is it too too late for uh, that? Might take another two hours, right? <laughs> I know. I, I have one short question, yeah. and it is: What 
going back to music, what would we be surprised of in terms of music that you enjoy or listen to? I had the exact to? same question. Surprising there we influences. Go. There we go. Um, I only listen to cool stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't know. By the way, I, the I, 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 I caught and I really enjoyed the uh, the the Maiden Vans that you got on. Oh yes, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody loves Iron Maiden. <laughs> ELO is a little weird, and I I definitely love ELO. So, um, or, or what's something that you like that's just totally mellow? Just to... it's always got weird stuff going on. Um, like low is oh, huge. Yeah. Big love of mine, yeah. and um, I wish I could do something like that, but <laughs> I don't have the restraint. I, <laughs> I don't think they but, don't so yeah. much now either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of times I throw on, you know, eighty-nine point whatever classical BYU, and and just let my brain get inundated with some classical music. That's always nice. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's anything that would call me out. <laughs> well, that's no. We got yellow. We got low. We got yeah. classical music. Those are those are good rounding out. Things. You mentioned kind of blue earlier, like the 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 more sure. mellow Miles stuff. Oh but yeah. The oh, other yeah. one I was curious. Like we talked before about our own personal canon, but I'm curious. Like, do you have like uh, just a couple albums that like would make up your personal canon they're like just the absolute if you're going to look at the history of gentry densley music you have to include these albums as influence well well you have to do power slave probably from the vans here i got my iron maiden fans and that was always the record that i would pull out and i think it's like just so solid all the way throughout and iron maiden is always telling stories too and in kind of mythology as well flight of icarus and all these maybe know. they influenced that early higher register you attempted before yeah. you dropped lower I, yeah i don't know why i did that but <laughs> it's yeah i think you think your body's the same as everybody and you should be, <laughs> i should be able to hit that note i don't know why i wouldn't um but besides that um yeah i mahavishnu was such a huge influence too and like birds of fire always comes back there's a song 10,000 birds of black hot fire that's an eagle twin song and that one um basically kind of takes the the chords from birds of fire but it's kind of slowed down and there's a really cool part in the middle where on birds of fire he was soloing over this pentatonic that's not really in those chords but it's kind of the extension of those chords
just creates a, a really cool thing that you can play with there. Um, and those, I think those chords pop up in tons of stuff. The Birds of Fire chords, they're just these weird two different dominant things, um, but they get anchored by what feels like the tonic, you know? Um, but that's in um, uh, Ouroboros has elements of that. Those chords work into a lot of my my stuff, and there's just so many different ways to... It's part of my language, I guess. So the, the Iron Maiden album, <laughs> the Birds of Fire album, Sure, is there, is there any others that you'd put on that hmm. on that list? I don't know. Maybe Tom Waits' Bone Machine or something it was pretty influential on all of that stuff as well. Hmm. For for where I am now, I guess. Um, and I think embracing the sing differently if you need to <laughs> mm-hmm. and just the he had such a cool band too with his uh, um, like Mark Rabot on guitar and then I think it's Greg Cohen on bass who played in Masada with John Zorn and that Masada stuff was pretty influential for a lot of years too so it's hard to pick <laughs> Yeah, it's hard seminal to stuff I always pull out that Iron Maiden vinyl though so. Super cool. Yeah. Any other final questions? No, man. Thanks for right. thanks for chatting. It's yeah. a, it's it's impressive to. I mean, obviously, you're just a kind of a voracious listener and absorb a lot of influences, musical and otherwise. And it's kind of cool to to get some really specific, you know, references to where all these things oh, in yeah. Iceburn come from. You know. There's mm-hmm. so many more too. <laughs> so, part uh, two, fourth yeah, coming. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's been we're, we're privileged. It's been great. Um, yeah, I, like I mentioned, we at least uh, I saw you a ton. No, J- Jason. Went to a bunch of shows. He I went saw to a couple, bunch of a shows. Few, at least, yeah, two or three. Steve went to the first one. I've seen one show. Yeah. <laughs> a more recent one, yeah. Yes, yeah. the Urban Lounge nice. from but I, a back, but I uh, yeah. kind of equate it with, uh, have you seen the film Babette's Feast? I don't know. I haven't. A new influence for you. Yeah. You oh, okay. check, out. check out Babette's <laughs> Feast. Um, best film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't win wow. best picture, but best, best foreign film of that year. This... Uh, this chef, she she had worked. She was the head chef at this Paris restaurant, and then it had there's some war or something, and so it closes down, and she takes refuge in Denmark and just settles with this tiny little religious community, these two elderly sisters. And, but then she ends up winning the lottery, and she's like, I want to create a a French dinner like I used to make at this restaurant, and I'm going to make it for you guys. And so it's just this tiny little tiny little Danish village and everyone gets invited and she's like doing all this stuff with turtles and making it just <laughs> you know all, all these extravagant meals and then the, you know all these people that have never experienced anything like that and they're oh okay they also take a vow not to drink any of the wine because they think it'll 
prepped him with, <laughs> with, with them, yeah, yeah. witchy powers. <laughs> but I, I was going to your shows. Like <laughs> I felt like we were getting treated to to a Babette's feast. Like there you go. wow, these guys are really giving giving us everything musically. It was just always so exciting. And just uh, you know, never knew what you're going to get necessarily. And but it was. It's always such a good time whenever, whenever you perform. Feast. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great, great. So yeah, thank you for your, for making time for us. And okay. what track's gonna take us out? Yeah, tell us which one haven't we heard yet that you would want us to end on. Why don't we play the Birds of Blackout Fire? That there we go. This is the latest Eagle Twin album, or no? This is the actually the first one. Birds of Blackout Fire. <laughs> 